Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Welcome to Face to Face. This is a show about change and what's next. It's a show that asks questions and peels back the layers of our average everyday experience and goes beyond scratching the surface. We interview people doing incredible things who are making a difference around the globe. Join me as we listen in and get one step closer to understanding that big ideas shared create collaboration. Collaboration can inspire community, and communities create social change. I'm David Peck, and this is Face to Face. So the next interview is with a young woman who I've actually never met face-to-face, but we've met uh, digitally through email and online. Uh, Her name's Kelly Hadfield, and she is a bundle of energy. She has incredible amount of passion for the work that she's doing. She's currently somewhere uh, in Ireland. I think she described it to me as uh, living somewhere like uh, right out of the Lord of the Rings, the Shire, which sounds pretty inviting. 
and um, you'll you'll hear a little bit more about what she's up to there, uh, going to school, I think working on her third degree. So you kind of get a sense for, for the type of energy and passion and commitment and intention we're talking about here. And she talks a lot about the Global South, but very specifically about a country that she has a great deal of, of love for and a uh, concern for and a care for, and that is Ghana. Ghana Medical Help is an organization, ghanamedicalhelp.com. Check them out online. I, you're going to enjoy the interview. There's there's a lot going on here, way more going on than meets the eye. Um, buckle up, uh, listen in, and uh, trust you enjoy this interview with Kelly Hadfield from Ghana Medical Help. Well, welcome to Face to Face. We are joined by uh, Kelly Hadfield today, I think, joining us uh, from, I think, from, from is it Dublin, Kelly? Uh, Ireland? You're in Ireland, at least. So. Limerick, Dave. Good old Limerick, Ireland. That, that's the actual name of where you are? It is. It is. And so to honor my move here, I bought a dirty book of Limericks, actually. That was very appropriate. <laughs> Excellent. Well, thanks, <laughs> thanks, thanks for joining us today. No, it's my honor to be here. Thanks so much for having me. So Kelly Hadfield is the founder and executive director of an organization that I had not heard of before, and my bad, uh, Ghana Medical Help. And so I invited her to come on to the podcast today just to talk a little bit about her her passion for uh, the work that she's doing, uh, the medical work that she's doing. She's going to probably talk about uh, some of the schooling that she's just uh, turning a new page on as well, and uh, and about this organization. So Kelly, so and 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 she's just shared her annual report with me for her organization. Five years in, I believe. Tell us why you're so excited, Kelly. Well, I'm, I'm particularly excited about this annual report and this particular phase within the organization, Ghana Medical Health. Uh, because I, I remember starting it as this little idea in this village where there was absolutely zero um, preventative or curative healthcare measures in place. Uh, and it's now been five full years, and we have volunteers in four continents, and 60 individuals work on our projects and, and make everything happen. And so with this annual report summarizing five years of history, we really took the time to honor it and reflect um, and use the data that we've collected over over these five years and, and present it to our donors and to our supporters and to uh, new individuals like yourselves that haven't heard of our organization to show you proudly what we've been able to accomplish and the change that we've been able to catalyze. Um, and then in a, in a new sense, present the projects that we're piloting this year that are really focusing on preventative health care and expanding out um, a more multifaceted approach to sustainably improving um, basic quality of health and well-being, uh, health and well-being for rural and remote uh, Ghanaians in northern Ghana. So, so Kelly, why why Ghana? Why not Burkina Faso? Why not Cote d'Ivoire? Why not uh, Myanmar? Um, there's a few reasons that go into that. One is simple chance. Honestly, uh, I came to Ghana. It was 2010 uh, for the first time, and. I, my voice is, is not lie. I am very young, and I was even dramatically younger when I went to Ghana for the first time and started this whole endeavor. Um, and I went through a nonprofit called Operation Groundswell, a really fantastic Canadian organization that does international service learning programs for youth. Um, and they're unlike any other that I've ever heard of. They're very critical. Uh, so I joined their first ever uh, West Africa medical program designed to teach future healthcare workers about healthcare in a country like Ghana. Um, and so it was that that brought me to Ghana. And it was through engaging in their programming, engaging in all this critical, reflective conversation about voluntourism, about medical tourism, about 
health inequities um, around the world and back in Canada to here. And, um, you know, I've always been very engaged in my local community in supporting health and wellness. And this gave me an opportunity to really make an impact in global health and in my global, um, my global uh, community. Operation Groundswell was it a was it a um, was it a, uh, a I, I don't want to call it a holiday uh, <laughs> you, you know you referred to it as volunteerism was it was it kind of a, a backpacking trip with a purpose is that kind of what it's all about yeah it was it was a bit of a backpacking with a purpose um, it was uh, it was a summer in Ghana um, it, the first half of the program in the capital city in a very um, in the National Teaching Hospital meeting, uh, public health offices learning about health from a national standpoint. And the second half was in a very, very, very rural village um, at a very typical rural district hospital, way up right near the border, uh, the northern border, which is Burkina Faso. Right. Um, and that's where I was exposed to a doctor, the, the, the one doctor, Dr. James Sarkaday, who ran an entire hospital for 90,000 people that had never in its history seen a single piece of basic pediatric equipment. So it wow. was using it, it was using an adult blood pressure cuff on a malnourished six year old. You're not gonna get a reading or an adult stethoscope on a newborn trying to detect a congenital heart defect. It, it doesn't work. And um, you know, they had they had six thermometers for the whole hospital and four were broken from extreme overuse. Like they, they just had absolutely zero basic, basic medical equipment. And without having those basic equipment resources, the staff had no capacity to effectively monitor um, and and respond effectively, efficiently to changes in, in patient conditions. So if you had vulnerable patients, pregnant women and children who had any critical conditions, they, they died. Um, and they were very preventable deaths, very, very preventable. And it was witnessing this. Um, and particularly when a 12-year-old boy named Moses, who was a, a child in this village that I became friends with, when he died, I got really, really ticked off, mm. genuinely pissed, and I resolved to change it, like the stubborn person that I am. <laughs> it's amazing, you know, when, you know, uh, um, philosopher Kierkegaard said, you know, you understand your life only when you start to look back and, you know, you see the dots, you see the connections, you see the links, you see you see some of the thread and obviously the death of a 12-year-old boy is going to have an impact, but to see how, you know, a simple sort of, oh, gee, I'm going to go on a backpacking trip, how, how, how all of a sudden that changes the direction of your life and, and, and just turns everything upside down. Yeah, it's absolutely amazing to look back on those maybe weekends where your whole life made a, a change to direction because of a choice. Mm-hmm. And, and I'll, I'll note also with this, um, so it, it it's based out of northern Ghana, currently the, the most northern two regions, they have regions as we have provinces, that supports two million people now. Um, but we're expanding beyond Ghana, not physically, and these are our goals um, for the coming years, really. But GMH, uh, Ghana Medical Health, because we're very, very research-based and we're very, very community-engaged, um, and in northern Ghana, it's very stable politically, and there's no corruption, hmm. but there is this need. So we found actually a niche of ours is to work as a gold standard model to demonstrate on-site proof of impact of a project that can then be replicated and reproduced around the world in all kinds of, of resource-limited rural contexts. Um, so, 
So, mm-hmm. so, so when you, so the whole, the, the medical help thing, so clearly, you know, Moses, the, the 90,000, uh, you know, hospital serving 90,000 people without the proper blood pressure cuffs, et cetera. I mean, you're speaking in a way that I wouldn't, do you have like, are you like, um, uh, a nurse? Are you, do you have a, a medical background or did you just get sort of thrown into this and said, okay, this is unacceptable. I now need to learn everything I can about this. And now you're becoming a doctor, I believe. Uh, I, I am becoming a doctor now. Uh, this will be my third degree. Um, I <laughs> That's hilarious. Your third I've been degree. I've for, I think, about 15 years in total. Um, so you're yeah, like, no, hang I, on, hang on, Kelly, you're like a professional student then. I, I am the definition of a professional student. <laughs> yeah, I um, but it's been a, it's been a lot of adventures. I, I did my undergraduate degree in biomedical science at the University of Guelph. Um, during that time, I, I was trained for three years as a peer counselor um, and, and got very in-depth exposure through that to mental health illness and, and a quite a passion for it. Um, and through that uh, uh, exposure to um, issue and health equality in certain kinds of marginalized communities at home and abroad. Um, and I did a master's degree at the University of Guelph in integrative biology, but it had a large global health component. And that it was a lot of it was based in East Africa. The field work was all looking at a novel technique for doing large scale monitoring of malarial mosquitoes. Mm. Um, so that was a fantastic project that greatly enhanced my research and critical thinking skills, which is an essential component to a project development for something like running this this charity in, in Ghana. Um, because it really avoids a lot of simple pitfalls that you get with a lot of charities um, in countries all around the world and at home, uh, because people often don't use a research-based approach. They don't ask if what they're doing is needed. Um, and if they do ask, sometimes they don't always listen. And um, a lot of projects don't often follow up afterwards. Yeah, uh, And a, that's it, really, really critical. You need to not only have a baseline data before you begin, but then you need to have defined measurable outcomes that you monitor for periods of time afterwards. Um, and then as well, you need an exit strategy. You're supposed to be capacity building. Um, charities come and go all the time. You I need think to be able I, to empower locals. I, I couldn't agree with you more. I think one of the biggest failures, I think, of, of the development sector, maybe it's it's from a donor perspective more than anything, is certainly bigger government and bilateral institutions, multilateral institutions. They, they you know, they want they want results in one, three, and five years. But which, you know, on one level, you go, okay, I, I get that, and and you gotta you gotta put it within a framework. But then, what about what about the ten year mark? What what exactly. what actually occurred? What about at the fifteen or twenty? And I I don't know how you come up with a mechanism. To, to monitor and evaluate five, 10, 15, and 20 years in. But I think it's almost essential um, to, to really get a better and more sort of robust understanding of, 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 of long-term change, you know? Yeah, yeah, definitely. And that, that's actually really what public health, I think, organizations really strive to do and strive to promote um, and what we in Ghana Medical Health strive to promote. The, the concept of really focusing on preventative health care. By preventative um, health measures, those you see the impact over long periods of time. Definitely not within five years. You see them after 10 and 20 and 25, like you're saying. Um, and so, you know, and, and in order to create any change, especially in health, you need the politicians and the media on your side. And you don't get the politicians and media on your side if you're focusing on something that won't materialize for 20 years, even if it's going to dramatically change the whole lives of a country. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's really interesting. In, in our organization, our projects, we've struck a really 
really good balance of um, preventative uh, projects that focus on preventative and curative care. So we try to make everything focusing on preventative as possible, preventative medicine, but where it's essential because there's no medical infrastructure in a lot of these areas we're working in, there has to be some form of, of curative um, healthcare focused projects as well to fill in the void so that if a baby desperately needs oxygen, it can have oxygen and it can it can survive. Before they would a midwife told me this winter they they would know a baby needed oxygen because it would turn blue and then they had no way to give it oxygen. And now they'll know well before it turns blue it needs oxygen because it's hooked up to one of our pulse oximeters mm. and they'll have the means, they'll have the appropriate sized oxygen mask and oxygen tubing and an oxygen concentrator to give it the, you know, its appropriate therapeutic measures. So, so there's, never, there's, there's never a simple answer to any of these issues. It seems to me very complex, very nuanced. I mean, yeah. extreme poverty, it's not just one thing. It's not either or. It's not a dualistic kind of uh, uh, thing to, to, to A, to understand and to, to, to actually sort of attend to. But having said that, do you think infrastructure is really um, what it's all about as far as, you know, uh, uh, the Global South is concerned and building infrastructure up is where um, change is really going to occur. Oh, 100%. Yeah, there, there's absolutely no doubt in my mind. Capacity building, building up infrastructure, and that involves then collaborating with the locals, um, whether it's in a country that has no formal infrastructure and then you're working, working more with the local chiefs um, and the local councils, or whether you're working in a country like Ghana, and so you're working a lot with Ghana Health Services, um, as well as the local district assemblies, that, that's why that's so essential um, to, to really ensure that you're building up their capacity and that they're the ones who are empowered and they have ownership over the projects. And then they're also accountable for the projects. They're engaged in their and counting their own resources and energy into them, which ensures their sustainability and ensures that they're going to be invested in wanting to maintain the, the outcome and maintain the the. Um, you know, the impact on the on the local community. And they can take more pride in the impact. You know, they're the ones that at the end of the day are able to say, we made this mm. happen. And that's what we want them to say. With, with Ghana Medical Health, um, you know, I'm happy to just be in the background and, and you know, kind of don't take any credit for it because that's not the point. The point is really to empower the locals to, to save the lives of their neighbors and to do that for 20, 50 years. So what, um, Kelly, what, why were you so pissed off? So what, in other words, what, what, what is it that's driving you? Because I, you know, I, I reflect on why do I do the work that I do? Why am I involved in international development? Why do I care about social change? You know, little things making a big difference, et cetera. What is it that's, I don't know, what's got the fire lit below, you know, your feet? Uh, well, there's lots of really important causes and uh, to get behind. You know, there's environment and there, there's politics. There's so many different causes to support and um, that are worthwhile. But... With me, I find when human rights are in a way being violated and when there's a major social justice that takes away from someone's ba basic health, um, basic right to health, ultimately, I get infuriated. Um, I, and it's that, that divide then in kind of um, in health status of certain populations, marginalized communities, say, whether they're immigrant or whether they're homeless or whether they have mental health illness, um, issues or whether they're born in a different country and in in Ghana it was this boy I'd made friends with um, Moses just a lovely little farming kid um, 
who on the third day when the staff thought he was improving died two hours later because there was mm-hmm. internal bleeding that they, they weren't aware of. Um, I, I knew that he never would have died in the most basic facility in Canada. And, and the fact that he died was really because the staff had no idea that there was this issue. And in a critical window of time that they would have had to respond, they weren't able to respond because they didn't know this was happening. Um, and he died. And, and, and that would have been caught back home. And so the idea that I knew in my heart he never would have had to die if he'd been born here. And so the fact that he was born in this village called Sandama, did that justify and make it okay that he can die here, but he, a child his age would never have to die back home in the same case? And the answer was no, of course not. And I, I knew that resoundingly in my heart, and that was what really infuriated me. Um, and, and it was compounded also because there's an orphanage, an amazing, amazing boys' leadership um, really fantastically run orphanage called Horizons Children's Center in Northern Ghana. It's also actually Canadian founded. Hmm. Um, really fantastic organization. And if I wasn't, every minute I wasn't at the hospital, I was with these 25 boys at this orphanage who are, are really, they, they do a lot of leadership development. These are the most respectful, intelligent, absolutely incredible boys. And I got really close with them. And they were all about the same age as this boy, Moses, who died. One of them, his name's Moses. And he's one of my really mm. good friends. From mm. And the idea of one of these other boys getting sick and dying because of inexpensive, basic equipment, not being present. Like tongue depressors cost less than $10. Thermometers cost $12. Stethoscopes I can get for $20. Like cheap, cheap things. Um, the fact that just because they're absent, one of them might die. I, I could not handle the thought, and I, and I still can't handle the thought. That can still drive me really easily to work when I'm tired, um, and and that's why I did it. Uh, there there was no other way for me to go about it. And the fact that I was young then then really helped because I didn't have any. When I then sat around and thought, okay, how am I? I didn't have any uh, mistaken thoughts of kind of arrogance of being an expert in something. I knew that I knew nothing, and I also knew that I wasn't a Ghanaian. And those were two really important realizations, um, which kind of established the roots of, of the charity that, that grew into something really incredible. Um, I still I still find it uh, fascinating when I hear somebody like yourself who's got the passion, who's got the commitment uh, and and the desire and 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 also the 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 active ability to make it happen clearly because I think there's, you know, there's a real disconnect between, you know, wanting to do something and then actually making it happen. Right. As we both know, um, why, you know, still though, you know, why, why is that? Why is it, you know, and I, we don't need to go any deeper than that because I, but, but, but I'd be happy to chat about it more. You know, what, what is it that motivates you to care about human rights? You know, what is it, you and not someone else? And, you know, and um, I, I find that really fascinating because I think that, I think, you know, I, I had a conversation with somebody this morning whose focus is the environment and took a very hopeful approach and that, you know, I think people do care, David, and here's why. And, you know, I'm not, I mean, I'm a hopeful cynic, Kelly. So yeah, I'm not, so con- I. <laughs> yeah, I'm not convinced that everybody does care, but I think, you know, maybe the backpacking trip is what did it for you in a sense, you know, hand in hand, side by side no. with Moses and, you know, but, but because I sometimes think getting people on the ground could make all the difference in the world, but then, yeah, anyway. Well, with that, um, I don't necessarily think uh, you need to go somewhere in order to create a change or to make a difference or to have that thought. It's often being inspired by somebody who can instill a recognition 
in oneself that goes, hey, I can do that. So a, a lot of people don't recognize that they have a capacity to create change themselves. Um, I'm, I'm very fortunate because I'm the niece of, of uh, Canadian astronaut Chris Hadfield, and he went to space the first I time. Wasn't I, was, I wasn't going to bring it up. Yeah, that's fine. But really, he, he was part of it. Um, he went to space for the first time, and I was five, six years old. I think I was six years old. Um, and, I, you know, and then he went again a few years later, five, six years later. And again, I was at that launch. And the, the event of, of him going to space and coming down, it actually doesn't stand out in my memory as a huge moment because it was normal. Mm. Um, and normalized incredible achievements was, was really empowering for me because it, in my mind, it was very reasonable to understand that I could do anything I wanted to do because, you know, yeah, my uncle goes to space. That's cool. Yeah. Like, no, no. no. So, 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 so most kids are being told to reach for the stars. You're watching your uncle actually reaching for the stars. Yeah. And so, you know, if I, there was no hesitation in my mind. And then it was reinforced um, by my family, uh, by my mother especially, who's, who's very big into social justice causes. If there was ever an issue in my community, she would always then just create the small change needed to make it better, to make it happen. She would never wait for somebody else to do it. She would work with others if they're already doing it. But she, you know, I, I, I'm Jewish. My mother's side is, is Jewish. So during my bat mitzvah, um, my aunt at the time, it showed that um, she, she had a very, very preemie baby, my cousin. And, uh, you know, we saw that women there had absolutely nothing to do. There was no books. There was no movies. There was just nothing for them to do. And they were there for months. So I turned my bar mitzvah into a fundraiser. So all the centerpieces were full of, you know, books and games and word puzzles and all kinds of things. But then we went donated to the hospital. Right. Like just small things like that were ingrained as really normal. Um, you see an issue in your community, you make it better. Um, and you, you don't do it with an attitude of arrogance or you don't do it with an attitude of doing it for yourself. Um, and, and so that was really where it comes from for me. So I actually... I started a charity with my mom in my local community, which is uh, around Barrie, Ontario, um, actually in Utopia, it's a forest outside of Barrie. That's where I was raised. And, there's, a, uh, there's a forest called Utopia just outside of it, Barrie? There is. And well, let me tell you. That's awesome. I had I no idea. They, they did well in the naming. It's lovely. Yeah. <laughs> Um, you got to come up strange when you're raised in a forest called Utopia. Yeah, no, no kidding. <laughs> well, just coming from Barry is going to have an impact. I mean, come on, really. But uh, I actually started a, a, a charity there with my mom because I was enraged that the only, only girls that were eliminated from going to their prom were the ones that deserved to go the most because they were the ones that worked the hardest. Those are typically the, the girls coming from more marginalized, more... Um, low-income families and those were the ones that typically had to work far harder and if they didn't drop out to make their lives easier and they overcame all these challenges that many other peers didn't have to go through they were the ones not able to go to prom and I got really really angry about that when I saw it happening to my friends so I resolved to change that and I started talking to my mom and we started this charity called the prom blitz which is still operating today 10 years later what's it sorry so, what's the name of it it's called the prom blitz yeah, prom project. Mm -hmm. So it's still going. If anybody has a graduating grade 12 daughter who needs a, a dress and they're beautiful, a lot of them are designer donated brand new dresses. Cool. Um, it's a really, really fantastic initiative as well. But so, yeah, I'm, I'm engaged in my local community. 
I get engaged in my global, but the one, it usually ties to health. So in high yeah. school, for me, that, that was a mental health thing. It was mental health and wellness. Um, my global community, it's the same. And, and so as a result of all of this and what I, when recognizing that kind of unique trait of myself is that I don't wait for somebody to create the change for me. I just forge ahead and, and create that path and then others tend to follow. Um, I love engaging youth in Canada. I love giving presentations, um, really capitalizing on, on investing in, in young adults to recognize that they have a, a, an ability and a, a capacity ingrained in themselves to catalyze change. And that change can be in whatever cause they want. Um, and then if I can add on the layer to think global but act local, and, and the ripple effect that that can create, that that can induce is... Um, I think, you know, it's really interesting. You know, you use the word normalized, and, and, and I like the word normalized in a sense, but I, I wonder if it's almost, you know, you talk about your uncle, you know, going to the, as if these were just, this was what we do in this family. And this is, you know, it's it's almost like, a you know, you start a charity with your mom. I mean, how many people do that? And then I think of my kids and the way we're raising them, and it's... it it, it, it it's a lifestyle kind of a thing and and it has an impact and it's incremental and it's over a period of time and it just what it does for me is it injects so much import into the littlest things the simple things right those those decisions we make where we choose to eat where we choose to go on holiday how we spend time together i mean there's a there's a uh i don't know i think there's a, a profound uh insight here actually and you don't have to have an uncle who's gone to the moon no. Right, you yeah. really don't, and I think your comment about uh, what did you say earlier? You said you know, um, uh, we don't. A lot of people think they don't have the capacity to change the world or to change things or to change their own, you know, um, um, futures. I guess you could say. In fact, I mean, I have a friend, and I, I, I've certainly brought him up on my podcast from time to time. He just doesn't believe in change. You know, we are who we are, and very deterministic, and you know, part of your DNA, David. <laughs> Oh, he would be great to get in a debate with. <laughs> <laughs> yes, he's a great guy. I have a lot of time, and I love him dearly uh, for him. Uh, I have a lot of time for him, and I love him dearly. But, but boy, he can be stubborn when it comes to this one. It's uh, it's pretty comical. Hey, so really quickly, I got to get this out of the way. Uh, have you bumped into Bono or The Edge yet? No, no, not yet. No, oh, come on. So no, my gonna... eyes are open. But you know, nobody goes to Northern Ghana. That's why we work in Northern Ghana. So uh, I, I pretty much bump into nobody in Northern Ghana because it's the hardest places. Oh, to sorry, stop. I met yeah. I met in Ireland. I met. Oh, in Ireland. Sorry, Bono. No. Yes. No. Oh, but um, uh, Luke Skywalker was at a random pub drinking Guinness a week ago. Mark Mark Hamill. Mark yeah. Hamill. Wow. Yeah. That's, that was I, cool. Okay, yeah, Kelly. So I'm old enough to say that I just got to shiver up my spine. Yeah, 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 it was pretty. I, I realized I'm living in the wrong town, but I'm in the right country. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> That's pretty fun. Luke Skywalker comes into yeah. a local pub. Yeah. Um, I'm a huge U2 fan, and and but earlier I thought about it when you were talking about Moses because I believe, uh, and I haven't uh, been able to pull the copy off my shelf here, uh, but in The End of Poverty, Bono writes the introduction uh, to Jeffrey Sachs' book, and I believe he refers to, don't know if it's his phrase, but he refers to an accident of geography. And yeah. and isn't that kind of what you're talking about? That's you know? 100%, 100% what I'm talking yeah. about. Yeah. yeah. And, and uh, when health gets compromised, when human rights get compromised just because of an accident of where you're from, it's to me infuriating. Um, and when that makes it, when people kind of justify it or write it off or forget about it a week later. Right. Um, 
you know, that, that typically also is something that I, I um, you know, get a little infuriated about and then try to just engage people in conversation to make change about it. Um, like, for, for example, I'd love to, to actually give examples of a project or two that we're doing to kind of demonstrate. Well, I was just about uh, to say, tell me, tell me a little bit more about, about Ghana Medical Help. And, 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 uh, and I want to ask if you're going to be, you know, moving into, are you moving into other countries in, in Africa? And, the, you know, is that a part of your five, 10 year plan or what, you know, what's, what's next for Ghana Medical Help? Um, well, that's a, quite a few questions. Oh, yeah. um, yes, there's about six <laughs> questions. That's a bit there, of what, we, what we're doing at our core. What we what we began with, and what we what we have a very strong expertise in is medical infrastructure, medical equipment infrastructure. Mm-hmm. Um, so we began providing the most basic, fundamental equipment that enables the staff to be able to monitor the vital signs of their patients, respond effectively, to be able to treat them, um, you know, and especially uh, under critical circumstance. So we, we spread from that one hospital in Sandama. We made such a, such a tremendous impact there that the, the neighboring, you know, a half hour away from the Sandama hospital where we began, just 30 minutes is the Navarongo hospital where there's two doctors for 200,000 people. And again, just another 30 kilometers down the road is the Bongo hospital, one doctor for 90. So really close proximities, there's this immense need. So we expanded from one hospital to three to five to 10 to now 14, which is every single one um, in the most northern two regions supporting two million people. And each hospital has only one or two doctors typically. Um, and that's, that was kind of the roots. That's what we did. And then we branched very, very aware. We work with biomedical engineers. Um, we're very critical of our equipment sources making sure that we only provide the most proven, durable, robust equipment that's not going to break down, um, that's not uh, needs to be plugged in. Like, you know, we try as much as possible to get equipment that just needs to be plugged in to charge or is just battery powered. Um, We're really conscientious about uh, being very critical about the equipment we provide to be responsible for that. And that we're only ever providing equipment that each hospital says they need more than anything else. And we talk to all of the staff and all the wards every three months of every year since we pretty much started. Um, and in order to do so, we're very community engaged. So we have 30 Ghanaians who are local healthcare professionals from our 14 partner hospitals. We're part of GMH. We're doctors and nurses, um, and they do on-ground research. They do monitoring. They, they're the ones who we train to then train others. Um, we, we have a lot of uh, kind of mechanisms in place for that to ensure that, that our equipment gets well used and well maintained and then well monitored. Um, after we donate the equipment uh, once a year, that happens. We then follow up every three months doing um, impact assessments. Again, looking at a macro and micro view to, to analyze and assess the, the change that was created. Um, and, and that's incredible. You see over over 300 more patients a day able to receive medical care wow, that's in hospitals during the rainy season. Yeah, it and went. That, and that, and you was, can and you can actually show that that's directly linked to the the, the, oh, yeah. the quality of yeah. the equipment that that's being used. I mean, obviously, it has to do with training and, and education and so on as well. But a lot to do with equipment. Yeah, and, and I wow. can give you a good example why. So in the past, a hospital might have, you know, a three or four, three. I think four might be pushing it. Um, old mercury style blood pressure apparatuses and they would have over 100 people sitting during market day during malaria season for them to see and you cannot use your one blood pressure apparatus that's designed for OPD where everyone comes in you can't use it on all those people 
So they would physically look at you and guess what your BP might be without taking <laughs> your BP. And maybe one out of 10, only if you looked really sick, would they take your BP with this really old, somewhat dysfunctional BP apparatus. Um, so first of all, they weren't even taking the vitals for most of the people for, you know, nine out of 10. Um, but then we introduced these devices that are Welsh Allen Spot Vital Finds device. You know, they're really durable. We've had one that we, we donated in our first year and it's still working in the Sanima Hospital five years later. Um, they don't, they just plug in to recharge and then they can last all day. And they can monitor your heart rate, blood pressure, temperature, and pulse oximetry. So your oxygen level in your blood. And these work in like four seconds and they take all your vitals. Wow. So they use them on every single patient and they sped up efficiency by 30% in that OPD where the patients come. So they can see over 300 patients in a day during peak rainy season. And they can go through their wards very quickly and take the vitals multiple times a day. They can leave it to a patient who's critical to continuously monitor them. Um, like those those kind of things are where, you know, and it's amazing. It's an amazing story. It really yeah, is. Yeah. yeah. You, you see really funny things happen too. Like GMH comes in and our equipment arrives and then there's a huge increase steadily in the incidence of hypertension in the region. And, you know, you're like, oh, no, it's not that there was more hypertension. It's the fact that people are getting their BP reading, you know, that people can actually get their BP reading and then they're able to see the hypertension is high. Um, which So it's really, really, really interesting to be able to monitor those changes and uh, impact staff morale. That's dramatic. Oh, I mean, yeah. No, well, exactly. And you start, you start to see the connections, right? You start to see the implications of a simple intervention. Yeah, yeah, it's, 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 it, that's what's always kept me going, actually, is every three months getting a new research survey that's, that's showing across all the wards the impact in every hospital. Um, that 100% is what gives me the high if I was ever feeling burnt out because um, I was doing this, of course, while doing different degrees and different things. Uh, and, and then we began to branch off, I'll mention. So what, what's cool, actually, with this equipment project is it's actually working, and that's what's right. what really cool. Right. That's, always a, that's always a plus <laughs> when you're talking to donors, Kelly. Yeah. yeah. Well, uh, like the, the idea is, of course, that um, they don't need those items over time, and, and, and that they don't need the amount, and they don't need that. And um, this January, I, I was in Ghana twice this year, and uh, the, the goal is to try to not need to be there, right? That's why we engage locals. That's why we have amazing, amazing people on the ground. We call them GMH ambassadors. Um, and so when I was there, though, in January, I saw the hospitals that we've been in the longest for five, four, three years. They don't need the, the, the equipment anymore. They don't need any of the basic stuff. They might need some of the more comprehensive stuff, like an oxygen concentrator or a suction machine. Those, those secondary kind of comprehensive equipment needed to kind of do more life-saving procedures um, that are, they're not still expensive, not at all like an x-ray. We don't deal with any of that, um, but they're life-performing equipments. Um, they may be, they used to have none, like not a single hospital in the upper West region for a million people. There was no oxygen concentrator. Like it was, it was appalling. Um, so, okay. So then we brought in one, but you know, one for a whole hospital means it's going to be overused dramatically. It's going to be, you know, taken multiple different wards in a day. So they still needed, you know, a few more things like that, but they don't need, you know, almost anything else that, that we, we were supplying before. And our newer hospitals, we're, we're able to start even weaning them off now. And so it's been cool to see this transition of, um, you know, the, the project model's working. They don't need yeah. those items and they don't need the quantity and they're not asking for them. They're not greedy. 
you know? Yeah, and I think that, that's that's a pretty interesting uh, statement because they they must, you know, the local Ghanaians must really, I mean, obviously are seeing the, the significant impact these things are having. What about, um, what about local government? What about, um, you know, you say there's no corruption. Um, is it just, is it just a lack of funds? Is it a lack of, uh, yeah. uh, you know, or is there a, you know, what, what else is going on there? Why, why aren't they getting access to some of this basic equipment? Yeah, it's a lack of funds uh, in general. Uh, it's a lack of investment and desired investments. And there's a lot of stigma about the North and Ghana. Um, the infrastructure is extremely poor. There's pretty much one road that goes through the one province and another road that goes through the other. Um, there's extremely high levels of poverty. Um, there's, you know, very poor resources for education. Um, it's, it's really, uh, it's, it's as far as you can go from the economic centers of the country. And so as a result, you, you just don't see investment. You don't see, uh, you know, the government putting any resources in developing, um, or very minimal, maybe now because elections are coming up next winter, you know, right. building a few more roads and they're taking the money that's saved for the hospitals into those roads. Right now there's, there's several complications in the healthcare system. Um, they had a great, uh, a, a great development 10 years ago called the National Health Insurance Scheme, NHIS, and that pretty much gave, for $12 a year, you and all your children under, I think it's um, under 16, might be under 18, I think under 16, uh, you know, access for free healthcare for about 95% of things, you know, right, uh, right. pretty much anything generic that you come to a hospital for, it covered you. And, and it was tremendous. It, it dramatically boosted the, the, especially in rural health centers, rural hospitals. It really, really um, boosted the number of patients coming in to seek medical care. Uh, however, it's there is corruption in that, and some of the funds that were supposed to go to reimbursing the hospitals haven't been going, and and now it's created a stagnate so that the hospitals actually don't have funds to buy consumables anymore, and and so. Actually, one of the doctors at Bonga, one of our hospitals, said that if it wasn't for GMH, they would have walked away years ago. Hmm. Um, that they, they haven't gotten equipment like uh, from the government or from a, a, a regular source since 2005. Um, some really, really interesting things. Um, but, yeah, so, so like, as a result, we're, we had to really branch off as well, of course, into other projects. Yeah, sure. That's not enough. What about uh, so so? You know, we're probably probably going to need to wrap it up here in a couple of minutes. But t tell me a little bit about what's next. I mean, have you got a big, you got a big f event coming up in in, in Toronto fundraising? Yeah. Are we going to see GMH on the side of a rocket anytime soon? Oh, uh, heading to you know that might not be a bad fundraising campaign. Yeah, if somebody wants to donate the money to set that one up. That would be great. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, we'll we'll talk to NASA about that, Kelly. Yeah. Um, well, we have a lot of really, really exciting things on the horizon. Um, we have a lot of really amazing new projects. For the last couple of years, in addition to the equipment, we focused on developing um, education and, and medical skills-based training workshops for local healthcare professionals. So we train the trainers to train hundreds of rural healthcare workers, which is excellent and something we're really focusing on continually and develop. Um, because right now, a, a pediatric nurse won't know how to do CPR on a baby. Um, so we really focus in on improving those skill sets. Every three months, we do these workshops to propagate out um, that new kind of training level, uh, especially in remote health centers and rural health centers. Uh, we, we have a really great project that we had a successful pilot, so we're growing out, that is part, um, part sustainable income generation as well as public health education. 
So we actually work in the northern regions here. Almost everybody's a farmer, a small-scale farmer, mm-hmm. and very, very high levels of poverty, especially if you go more remote. And so we actually have this really fantastic uh, sheep lending program that uh, a beneficiary farming family will get this pregnant female sheep. After three generations of reproducing, they give one back, and we pass that on to a different family in the in the community. And, in ex- and they're very, very high value, so they generate more funds than they'll ever see in, in a decade in their lives from one sheep being sold. And um, with this, in order to be a beneficiary family, you have to attend a bi-monthly workshop that's part asset management and part uh, public health education. And this is really, really exciting um, because in, in this project construct, we have so that those who are being um, benefited by this project now and who are partaking in these workshops are going to end up being the leaders of these workshops years from now who then you know branch it off so as you get the ripple effect across the regions you have also the sustainability to the education component very exciting i'm really happy about that one it's amazing it sounds like well listen you know thanks for joining us today and i i gotta say congratulations so is it five years is that what the annual report was kind of the anniversary of going to six and as you mentioned we're, we're having this um inaugural uh, great great flagship fundraiser with my uncle chris in toronto at the x on november 21st um i'm hoping to promote it as much as possible because it's going to be glorious and we're trying to bring ghana to life that evening we have amazing displays we have an incredible photography exhibit by a famous canadian photographer curtis Camo who came to Ghana this summer. Um, we're going to have a lot of really exciting things there, as well as it'll be a great intimate evening uh, with my uncle, who will, of course, give a presentation. Right. Excellent. So, uh, Are you coming back for that? There. And right. thank you so much. Again, for this opportunity. And oh, for your you're welcome. And are you going to are you going to be in Toronto for the event? I am flying back from Ireland for 24 hours in order to come to this event. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, you're going to pay for that, I think, in a variety of ways. But that's. Uh, <laughs> but my sense is your level of passion will be able to attend <laughs> yeah. to it accordingly. How's that? Hey, Kelly, thanks a lot for joining us today. Really appreciate your your your. Uh, you know, your desire to move things forward and your belief in the little things and in change and all that. It's its really, uh, uh, it's compelling, it's challenging, it's affirming and encouraging and, 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 all, uh, and a whole lot more. So thank, thanks a lot for your time today. No, thank you, Dave. It was absolutely, again, it was a privilege. And uh, talking with you, hearing your feedback, it's fantastic. I hope to do it again sometime. 